Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. my starting point. I had to be back to being that teenage boy standing in the pews and say, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Why this betrayal? Did you feel yourself pushed on by God in some sort of intangible way to do this and not really understand what you were doing? Did you do it for any of the reasons that the Gospels tell us you did it for greed or, uh, or money or because you were a sort of radical Jew? Why did you do it? I think that's what I would ask. Um, one of the things that's always puzzled me as well, so the other detail that I, I, I went to Jerusalem, uh, is where the book starts actually, and I, I went to the field of blood where Judas uh, is supposed to have hanged himself. And uh, Hakeldama, one of the legends for this, it's a very barren hillside south of Jerusalem, one of the legends that they tell there is that uh, after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we, we've talked already about how all the other apostles just scarpered, that they hid out in caves on Hakeldama. That's the legend. It's not there in the Gospels, but it's a Christian legend. So the place that Judas hangs himself is also the place that they were hiding out in the caves. And when you go to the Greek Orthodox monastery that's there nowadays, the little chapel that's there is actually hewn into the rock. It's like a cave-like chapel. A fascinating idea. Were the other apostles there and just yards away Judas was hanging himself? Did they see him? Did they not intervene? Did they not cut him down? How did they, they didn't see it happen? How did they feel when they came out? Those sort of questions, absolutely fascinating, but we'll never know. Perhaps I should write a novel about him. Unlearned hate is hard to unlearn. The curious words of Irish poet and novelist Brendan Kennelly from the Book of Judas, a poem published in 1991. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to meet with the son of perdition, or in the words of Pope Leo the Great, the wickedest man that ever lived. Yes, the man that represents human weakness, greed and betrayal, the Apostle of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, the man who portrayed Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver. In Judas, the troubling history of a renegade apostle, biographer, writer and journalist Peter Stanford writes, One of the key challenges in embarking on a biography of Judas Iscariot is that every detail of his story is capable of being looked at from a dizzying array of perspectives. And through any number of historical lenses and prejudices, the questions that arise, who is telling the story, what precisely are they saying, and why are they doing it? So who was real Judas Iscariot? How much do we know about his life and times? How much is fact? And how much is fiction? And if human history has evolved, have interpretations of Judas's personality motivations and crimes moved on to. Hello, my name is Peter Stanford and I am a writer and a broadcaster based in London uh, who writes mainly about religious topics, also write biographies, but religion has been what's fascinated me. And many moons ago, I was the editor of the Catholic Herald and I'm still a columnist in the tablet, the International Catholic Weekly. 
Peter, really well done in the book. I absolutely loved it. It's a tremendous read, incredibly engaging, very philosophical in parts. It's almost reads like memoir in other parts. I think that this book is something for everyone. I might start out um, with a very general question, if you wouldn't mind, and ask you, what does Judas mean to the 21st century? How does he speak? What does his story reveal to us in the 21st century and how relevant is he? I believe Judas to be really, really relevant still to the 21st century. Otherwise, well, it wouldn't have been pointless writing a book about a historical figure. But I think uh, things work better when they have an echo in our own lives. And I suppose the way that I came to Judas, really, was growing up Catholic in Liverpool and going to Mass. And particularly around uh, Lent and Easter, listening to the story of the Passion. And his name would sort of leap out as it was being read in the story. And I suppose what I remember starting off thinking was don't really understand why he did it. Because every time, I understood it was betrayal, I understood it was terrible, but I didn't really understand why he did it. Um, In very simple terms, if you look through those Gospels, they all tell you different things. So Mark doesn't give you any explanation at all, he just does it. Matthew tells you it's for 30 pieces of silver, i.e. he was greedy. Luke tells you it was because he was possessed by the devil. And John has the best of all worlds, really. He tells you not only was Judas possessed by the devil, but also that he was greedy and bad and stole money from the other apostles and was a thief and didn't really, wasn't very nice to the poor and all sorts of things. But I was just rather fascinated by his character. He seemed quite human. And I suppose that's where the, my interest in his story has gone. And, you know, all of us who've grown up Catholic will know that the saints and the apostles are held up as role models for us. We're told that, you know, these are all wonderful people of faith and we should be like them. And I suppose one of the struggles that I had was with the apostles. And you look at them all, and obviously I'm named after one of them, St. Peter. And I know that he betrays Jesus three times before the cock crows twice. But he always seemed pretty flawless to me apart from that and then you know he gets to be pope and he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the rest of them all seem very good and i suppose perhaps i'm not very good but it it just occurred to me that judas sounded a bit more like the rest of us than the apostles the apostles all felt slightly like plaster saints whereas judas felt flawed and he got things wrong and he got things terribly wrong but there was a sort of humanity there and a very long way of answering your question but you know what is the relevance of judas to today the relevance of judas today is it seems to me that almost alone amongst the apostles he seems flawed and human and someone that certainly this still practicing i'm proud to say catholic can still relate to now you say judas is the biggest scapegoat in human history can you unpack that for me so I've talked about the Gospel accounts and what they say about Judas. Uh, so the, the last of the Gospels, John's Gospel, was written around 100, 125 AD. And thereafter, the way that the, the growing Christian community sort of engaged in, in debate and discourse and even dissent was by writing a series of other Gospels as seen from other perspectives. So you have a Gospel of Peter, you have a Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and you have a Gospel of Judas. And very quickly what you get in these early writings are different groups within the emerging Christian church disagreeing with each other over different details and them trying to forge a Christian identity. And Judas played his part in that. There is a Gospel of Judas. Very early on in in those subsequent Gospels, what the the writers wanted to do and the, the people who were behind the writing of these documents was to distance Christianity from its Jewish roots. 
And so Judas became associated with being the, the most Jewish. I mean, obviously all the apostles were Jewish, but he became associated with being the most Jewish of all the apostles, and indeed the one who betrayed Christ, who didn't recognize the Messiah. And so therefore, he became in a way a kind of byword for the Jewish people. It's there in his name, actually. Uh, so Judas, which is a pretty common name among Jews of the time, is rendered in Hebrew as Yehudi. And the Hebrew word for a Jew at the time, a common Hebrew word for Jew, was Yehuda. So Yehudi, Yehuda, sound very similar. So he became Judas the Jew. The second bit of his name, Iscariot, he's the only one of the 12 apostles uh, we're told where he comes from. Because Iscariot, the vast majority of, of Hebrew scholars agree this. There's a couple who might slightly disagree. But they would agree that it translates as man of Keriot. Iscariot, man of Keriot, Iscariot. And Keriot was a town it's thought very close to Jerusalem. So the seat of Jewish power. So he represents the Jewish establishment, whereas, of course, what we know about Jesus and his apostles, uh, the other 11 apostles, was they all came from Galilee, which was kind of an outpost to Judaism. So he was the mainstream, they were the outsiders. So Judas the Jew stands against Jesus and this outsider movement that is, that is trying to change Judaism. And then when Christianity comes along, it's Judas the Jew who wants to do down Christianity. And then what you see going forward from that, and that's there in lots of those other early Gospels, it's there in St. Jerome's writings, this idea that there was Judas the Jew in the midst of Jesus's inner circle. So, you know, saw the very best of Jesus, was given, the, you know, granted unparalleled access, and he still turned against him. And so the myth grew up that you could never trust a Jew, because however much you let Jews into your world, into your society, into your neighborhood, into your town, into your commerce, into your family, they would always betray you. And if you look at the medieval illustrations that you'll see in churches up and down Europe, Judas is always portrayed, well, as stereotypical typically Jewish. He always has an enormous nose because in our stereotype, Jews have large noses. Uh, this is radio, so you can't see, but I'm a nice Catholic boy and I've got a gigantic nose as well. Uh, so there's a nonsense in that stereotype, but that was the stereotype. Judas is always dressed in yellow, the colour of the outside, which of course is the colour the Jews were forced to wear both in medieval Europe and later under Nazi Germany. They had to wear yellow stars. And he's always depicted clutching his bag of money, the 30 pieces of silver that Matthew tells us he was given for betraying Christ. He's greedy, he wants money. And so Jews in medieval Europe were the money lenders, they were the greedy people, they were the people who were sort of, you know, ripping off everybody else. So Judas becomes a scapegoat for Christian Europe's hatred of Jews, suspicion of Jews, hatred of Jews, resentment of Jews, whatever you want to call it, anti-Semitism. And it isn't only in medieval times. If you move forward, say, to the end of the 19th century, uh, when France had a great sort of national falling out over the Dreyfus affair, uh, Captain Dreyfus was a secular Jew, but he was alleged to have leaked French military secrets to the Germans. He didn't actually do it, but that's another story. But the way that the French newspapers at the time portrayed him, his name was Alfred, but they kept calling him Judas Dreyfus, the Jew, the traitor in our midst, uh, was the cry that you heard throughout those years at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, and then, of course, most awfully in the Holocaust. So a lot of Nazi propaganda, certainly in the early years of Nazi propaganda, used the figure of Judas and said, just as Judas betrayed the people around him, the people who, who had opened their doors to him, so the Jews would betray the rest of the German nation. And it's there in Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, those images. So um, a pretty terrible history of Christian anti-Semitism is there in the character of Judas. Do you think we need a more rounder or fuller portrait of Judas? And within all of that, could it be argued that if Judas was God's agent, 
that he was in ways a sort of radical hero? Gosh, that's that's a big question. If we, if we take that in two parts, do we think we need a fuller rounder portrait of Judas? Um, I think we almost have a fuller rounder portrait of Judas in the Gospels. It's just that we've chosen to ignore it. But they're very inconsistent. That, well, A, they're very inconsistent. So, as I said earlier on, there is this question about his motivation. But they also tell, I mean, what, what we all know are the bad details. So we know the bad detail about the 30 pieces of silver. Uh, the other detail that echoes down the ages is the Judas kiss. So when Judas takes um, variously, depending on the gospel, either Jewish soldiers or Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on Maundy Thursday evening, he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now, of course, the kiss is the sort of most intimate of gestures, really. And so by using it to betray someone, it, it, that, that has extraordinary power and that power remains with us. We know those details, and they're all bad details. But think of two other details that we know from the Gospels. The first detail we know is only there in Matthew's Gospel, is that when Judas had betrayed Jesus, he felt a terrible pang of remorse. And so he goes back to the temple. This is all in Matthew's Gospel. And he tries to give back the 30 pieces of silver. Now, anyone who's listening who's got small children, as, as I, I did a few years ago, uh, you know, if your children do something mean or steal some other child's sweets or toys or whatever, what's the first thing you make them do to atone for what they've done is they take back the sweets or the toy. And so Judas tried to do that in a very simple way. He tried to make reparation for what he'd done and take the money back. So he wasn't wholly bad. And actually, it's the chief priest who refused to take the money. So he throws it through the gates of the temple because they won't take the money. So he's not wholly bad in that sense. The other image that we're all very aware of, but we tend to see it in a rather negative way, is the image, again, only in Matthew's Gospel of Judas's death when he hangs himself in Hackledarm at the field of blood. And that's meant to be a terrible warning to us all in some ways. It's, it's meant to be an image to haunt us, and some of the medieval depictions of it were terribly, terribly haunting. But it also seems to me that it's a terrible image of human despair, of when someone believes themselves to be unforgivable. It wasn't that anyone told Judas he was unforgivable, but he believed himself to be unforgivable. And, of course, the Christian church has always taught that he is unforgivable. Now, you know, I'm not the world's best Catholic, but, you know, it seems to me that one of the very clear things